shoulder width apart for your stance. Correctly holding the club. Taking a slow back swing, not too far back, because some people you see on like films, the club goes right back to the back of their neck, don't it, right? Accelerating through the ball. Keeping your head down. Boom, off you go. Strike it lucky. Strike it lucky. You've got to be very calm, which is unusual uh, for myself, because my personality, I think, has always been 100 mile an hour, regardless to the cocaine. Welcome to Beautiful Strangers. Thanks for being there. None of the stories in this series are connected, but all of them have lived, loved and lost. I'm Jack Sutterby, and this one's called Strike It Lucky with Martin John. I didn't go to school, so I started playing a bit more golf and then slowly but surely getting a few more golf clubs and then progressing to a full-size course. Can you not scratch your chin? Because you can hear Can you hear it? Can you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a natural talent for the game. And then I heard about a golf course called Hainault Forest Golf Club, which for many years after, I was not only a member, but I was the youngest man ever with the lowest score. I think it still holds the record. But I didn't last very long because through my character, which sometimes is not always a bonus, I went there in a pair of jeans one day and he said something about you can't come in the club with jeans on, I sell bollocks, and I got the sack. And that was the end of that, which is probably a big mistake. Slowly but surely, I come away from it, getting more involved with my father, with the scrap business, making money and then the golf sort of took a backward step which is a tragedy I think it really is it, you know I definitely had something there born in East London very difficult times I mean everyone you talk to says that at my age they've had a hard upbringing but most of them haven't but yeah it was very very difficult uh, we lived in the bottom part of an house which is very small I actually went there the other day uh, I actually knocked on the door the other day in my end and and you ain't gonna believe it, but the house now was, it was just bought for 1.2 million, truth, right? And when we was living there, we dad told me the rent was two pound a week. Struggle to pay that. Uh, brick built, outside toilet, very minimal comforts, zero. Uh, my dad was a bit of an unusual character. Uh, I won't disclose that much about my father because he'd done things he shouldn't have done and spent many, many years in prison, which is just one of them things. Food was very minimal, and I ain't playing the old violin story. I mean, there was food. My mother done what she could. God bless her. Beans on toast, bit of stew, very minimum. Corn beef, potatoes. Ah, very minimum. I mean, we was fed. I'll be, I'll be rude to say we wasn't. That's a disrespect to me mother. God bless her soul. Well, my mother went out with Charlie Cry. My mum and dad was in a restaurant in Marlind. They were sitting there and Reggie and Ronnie Cray walked in with my dad's ex-partner. And they walked up to the table and Ronnie Cray said to me, Dad, I'll never work with you, Mervyn, my dad's name. My mum picked a carving knife up and uh, Reggie Cray said to her, put it down, Mary, and my dad walks out and that is the last he ever saw of them. Dad got me involved in the scrap business from maybe as young as six. I can remember being on the lorry with my father. 
and then sit in the lorry where afterwards he used to go in the pub. I mean, I think I've been to every pub in East London. <laughs> I really have. Uh, so basically, you go around picking up all your scrap metal. I come across a building. My dad said, go in there and ask. So I went in there. There's this like six blocks of flats. Massive. We was in there for four months solid. I had two Rolexes out there. Fact. I also had letters out there from Lord Lucan. And I threw them in the bin. And that's the truth of the matter. We had a little shop. We put a little bit of stuff in there. A little bit of furniture. Bits and pieces we collected out. A woman pulled up. And she offered me... It was a pine wardrobe, a chest of drawers and a bedside. Something like that. A combination set of pine. And it was on a trade. And I went, oh, I don't really want it. I mean, I did want it, but I just didn't, didn't want to give anything for it. Right? So she went, you can have it. So, lovely. I said, thank you very much. Put it in the window of the shop. Uh, and that shop was called Strike It Lucky. <laughs> Mobile phones were just coming out. We had one. It was a Motorola. One of them big ones. Like, it was like a brick. So I put the number on the window. The phone didn't stop ringing. Drove down to East London, a road called Acne Road, which a lot of people will be familiar with. It was very well known in the early 80s and late 70s and 60s for reproduction furniture and furniture manufacturers. So I thought I'd have a little ponder down there. Bang. I see a couple of pine wardrobes and there was an old man in there and he was making pine furniture. So I struck up a friendship of him, bought a couple of bits of furniture off him, cash, put them on the van, took him back to the shop. I think I sold him within the hour. I would say within seven months, putting the pine in, putting the pine in. True story. I think I was taking three, four grand a week, which was a lot of money. And it went from the one shop, Strike It Lucky. We opened that one across the road, which was four times bigger. And it progressed even further. And I bought a 911 Turbo Pulse for £29,000. And I cried. I, I, I couldn't put a figure on, on, on what I was worth, but I mean, obviously, I know that I spent about two million on cars. Common knowledge. And it was like, it was non-stop. It did it's not stop. Not. Sticking to my basic fundamentals, good word. Cash only. Did money change me to go and buy a 12, 15 grand watch and not think about it, knowing that I come from an house when there's no electric and no food? Realistically, cards on the table, Martin. What did money do for me? It didn't do me any favours. It took me down a terrible route. I got caught up in it, to be honest. I mean, regarding the coke, I suppose 18, 19, the other occasional line, getting on the drink. As I progressed earning money, uh, and the more flush I became, I tended to go out a lot more with my partner. Uh, there's been quite a few women in my life, but I'm not going to be rude and say that, but just say with my partner at the time. And cocaine came on board very quickly. It started going up to, like, using on a Friday night, and then it started creeping in Saturday night, yeah? 
And then I thought, mm, you know, I'm Billy Big Nuts, the Ferraris, the Wattis, you know, all the fancy women, etc., etc. No disrespect to all my partners or my wives that are going to listen to that. I'm not aiming it at you. I've already had this out with someone before. This is not aimed at anyone in particular. I've got to make that quite clear to any ex-partners or any, any ex-wives. Nothing against you whatsoever. This is about me. So, I, I don't know, maybe I thought I was going to be the, the biggest furniture retailer on the planet. You know, I was going to be on the rich list. You know, this fella's going to get... This, this guy is going to be king, king, king yeah, yeah. A man might be a van driver, no disrespect. He might work in an office, but when he shovels a bit of powder up his nose, he's Al Capone. You know, he's Pablo Escobar. This fella's the biggest gangster, mate, this side of Colombia. And off the powder, he's scared of the dark. My usage went up Friday night. Saturday night. Couple of months later, Friday night, Saturday night, one day in the week, like, you know, fuck it, I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna have a blast in the week, I've got plenty of money, call a couple of grams on. When you run out, you want more, because your heart's beating six millimoles an hour, you're smoking 2,000 cigarettes, you're drinking like 500 gallons of vodka, or whatever floats your boat. So you need something to compensate it, the drink calms you down, the powder, your heart beating. about six grand I had a Louis Vuitton I ain't dropping the names should get paid for that but at the time I had a little Louis Vuitton man bag because I liked it it was many years ago before anyone else had them I would have bought one but that particular night I can't remember there was a few girls there was a lot of girls on board I ended up in the Tower Hotel I think I took two rooms over there must have been like six to eight women scantily dressed and I ain't me being rude to women whatsoever that was the circumstances I spent every single penny I had I got a taxi home and I actually paid the taxi driver in cocaine so I spent six grand this happened twice I've done that twice yeah I put a line of Charlie down on the table whether I was out indoors wherever I was and as you go to sniff it it fell out so I've got a teaspoon Oh, you can't eat cocaine. Oh, no, you can. Yeah. You know, it's a whack a teaspoon of coke, swallow it, neck a double vodka. I've done that so many times, I can't even remember. Because my nose was shot to bits, when you go to tote a bit of coke, it just fell out. So I ended up, I used to eat it. Hello? I know you're going to be, mate. Where are you? Where are you going to meet me? Mayfair? Or you're going to meet him on a council estate in, in East London. You, you can't wait. You're looking out the window for the car. Or whatever way it's going to come to you. You're marching up and down the house. You think MI5's outside your house. I mean, I used to do two grams of Charlie in one line. Think about it. He's frightening. When it runs out and the party's over, that's when it goes to work on you, my friend. Yeah, When your heart's beating out your chest, you have flashbacks of your children, your mother, you're praying you're going to get through the night. 
you can't believe it, you're in a room that's empty, you're tossing and turning. It used to take me six to ten hours to sleep. You're praying you don't have a heart attack. There's people in your house, undesirables, people that are pissing on your bathroom floor. You've got women laying about, men, there's coke everywhere. That's when it really goes to work on you. And when it runs out, the panic sets in. Were you, you said you were praying, were you actually praying? Did you ever pray? Oh, pray, oh, thousands of times. I've actually laid in bed. Whoever it was at the time, or whoever that was in the bed, that's what I'm going to say. I'm going to pray for you. Just get me through the night. I've said it a million times. I'm never going to do it again. again. I survived it. A few days go by, and what do you do? Bang! You make the phone call again. The usage went up. The business, obviously, I took a back seat. My guard was down. Got a bit sloppy, very sloppy. Sold a few of the shops off. It just fell apart, man. It just fell apart. I mean, you know, I was using every day. Going to the shop, picking up my money, buying the gear. Going to the shop, picking up the money, buying the gear. The same thing every single day. I was banging trouble. Uh, the business had folded. Marriage finished. Uh, I was in a terrible place physically, mentally, massive mental mental health issues regarding the usage of coke and the drink. Oh. I had a, a couple of ex experiences where the ambulance was called. Well, I had massive panic attacks, which is, you know, a, a sort of overdose, which I did. My mum passed away. So I went turbo. I went absolute fucking turbo with the gear. And got to a place where it was at the end, when on a mad bender, there was people in the house, and so I walked around the block. I laid on a bench, and this is true, this is true. I looked up and see a church and I actually thought, oh, I actually thought, you know, thank right. fuck, you know, I've gone. <laughs> and I woke up an hour late or so, something like that, and realised that I, obviously I weren't dead. Went back to the house. There was three or four women in there, cocaine, some undesirable fellas. I got them out of the house, told them to F off. I think there was a bit of gear left. I can't remember what was left. There might have been, a, I don't know, two, three, four grams of gear. I've done the lot. I saw a picture of my mother, and bang, I passed out. You know, that was it. I thought, I'm dead. But again... When I woke up that particular time, and that was the last time that I used, it fucking hit me hard. Yeah, I broke down. From that moment onwards, and I've been clean over five years. Did you know that this was going to be the, that was going to be the last time you did it? You, think, you know what? Never again. To be honest about it, I've never been asked that question, and the answer to that would probably be, it was either that or I was going to die. It's that simple. I'm going to be blunt about it. If I didn't stop, I was going to be dead. I wouldn't be here now, and, and, and that's it. I've lost seven people.
down to cocaine. So I'm very, very, very lucky and very grateful to be sitting here. You know, today's another day, and tomorrow's another day, isn't it? So it's just moving, you know, onwards and upwards, uh, obviously trying to help as many people as I can. Obviously, the book, Get Clean, Martin John, my story in it is, is a genuine story. It's got a six-week plan in the back of it. How I got clean from the powder and the drink myself. I do one-to-ones with people. And if, if I'm allowed to mention this, obviously, if it goes on, it'd be great. Obviously, I've got a website, martinjohngetclean.com, which has got all different bits and pieces on regarding I do, like, seminars, schools, colleges, prisons, one-to-ones, I do direct phone chat. There's all different ways of approaching me. I've got 106 people clean. That's what I can say, guys. That's it from this one. This episode was produced, edited, and interviewed by me, Jack Sutterby. Thanks for Martin John for his patience with this episode and generally just being really lovely and curious. Thanks for listening. Bye. Um, hey, before I go, just quickly, and it will be quick, I'm going to do a 30-second timer. I'm going to put this at the end of every episode, by the way, so if you want to skip, then feel free to press the 15-second thing. Um, okay, first thing time. So I've really enjoyed making this episode and series, um, but I... Oh, this is an awful start. <laughs> if you enjoyed the episode and series, I'd love it if you could share it around. Also, I've done it on zero budget. I've edited it in my bedroom. I've not been able to pay for contributors. They've all done it for free, which has been amazing. Um, I've set up a GoFundMe page. Just type in uh, Beautiful Strangers into GoFundMe and you can donate and it would mean so much to me. It'd be amazing. That's 30 seconds. Yeah, you don't have to, but it'd be cool if you did. Cheers.